Ladies and gentlemen. This is Entitled Weekend. Hello once again and welcome to Entitled Weekend. It's Shaq and Bill and General Steve here. And boy, this has been a an interesting week. And as, as far as bye weeks go, uh, not much. And as far as uh, the media making fools of themselves, uh, but we will get to the, the number one fool in the court gesture, <laughs> one Albert uh, Ohio State Breer in just a moment. But yeah, not really much in terms of the Patriots and, and media is going. I, I, it's, it's been kind of a quiet time. But before we get to anything involving the Patriots, I want to talk about last night and the Chargers and Chiefs game. And I want to start with you, Bill, because last night, uh, and I, I know a lot of people on my timeline, and especially I know anybody who's listening to this podcast, you probably agree, just watching well, both coaches, but especially Brandon Staley. My God, like as Pats fans, we are so lucky to have Bill Belichick coaching this team because if I was a Chargers fan, I would have ripped out every single one of my probably 15 strands of hair that I have right now because that was an unbelievable sequence of coaching that I saw go down last night. I mean, you blew it because you were scared. Oh, oh, oh Steve. <laughs> I, I, I like, called like, on Bill, but you can't, Steve. <laughs> so, sorry. No, I just, I, I didn't even hear you say Bill. I just, uh, I was waiting to say it. They no, blew it because no, they but, were scared but, of the Chiefs. But, that, but that's, how, that's how annoyed you are with, with Brandon Staley and his idiotic coaching. It's retarded. I, I woke up and watched the highlights this morning. I was like, because I couldn't stay up that late two nights, you know, two nights in a row. But I'm like, the fuck was he doing? Like, what the fuck? I mean, what it comes down to is Staley doesn't understand how to use analytics, but wants to be the analytics man. Like, Belichick actually uses analytics in consideration with feel of the game, his team, roster construction, all of the other details that go along with it. Brandon Staley says, well, according to my calculations, 1.7%, you know, more likely to win the game if I go for it here on fourth down and not taking into account anything aligned with it. He threw away 12 points. You know, you could argue nine because one of them's a longer field goal. It's But it's like, you know, 40-something. It's not like you're talking about a 60-yard field goal. But Staley threw away points, not because he was – I don't even think it was because they were chasing the Chiefs. I think it's because he wants to be the smartest man in the room. I think that's a 100% ego play. And he can bathe himself – and this is what we talked about weeks ago – bathe himself in the defense of, oh, the analytics told me I should go for it. Because all of the analytics hounds descend upon it and go, oh, well, I bet everyone ha- is happy tonight, but that's the right call. That's why they're eight and five. Bullshit. No, they're not. They have not. No, there are very few games that have been ter- determined by analytics in that in their season. And I guarantee you, this was the one most dramatically impacted by it. And it was a loss. This was a pathetic coaching performance by a coach who wants to be smart and proved himself to be a fool. It's that old expression, you know, you know, say nothing lest you open your mouth and tell everyone you're a fool. 
he yeah. opened his mouth last night and proved to all of humanity that he had no idea what he was doing in terms of strategy for fourth down procedures. And to me, you know, I know I'm not a mathematician or anything, but analytics, I mean, a 23 to 13 lead is better than a 14 to 13 lead. I mean, am, am I being stupid when I say something like that? Because I thought, I thought analytics would agree with that. But I mean, again, <laughs> I'm not, I'm no expert. Oh, I'm, oh, and Brandon Staley's, I mean, he's not a coward, you know. He, according to some people, you know, he's some, definitely some not out a coward. There, he's not a coward, but, you know, but he does have an L on his, he, on his forehead. He oh, might oh, win no. coach of the year after that. Oh, no. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say he is a coward. I know we're mocking it, but he is a coward because he refused to make the play that people would have criticized him for. He refused to make the play that was smart, but people would have criticized him for. Taking the three. Belichick gets heat for that all the time and somehow is a coward. But Brandon Staley doing exactly what everyone dreams and hopes he'll do is supposed to be brave. No, we talked about this weeks ago, the definition of cowardice. Brandon Staley last night was the definition of cowardice because he wanted to hide behind the data and the numbers and not make an actual coaching decision and feel of the game. I don't love that whole, oh, you got to score touchdowns against the Kansas City Chiefs or any other team. You got to score points. And I feel like John Madden now, which is so infuriating <laughs> to me to be like, yo, whoever scores the most points wins the game. But that's the root of the whole fucking Magilla here. Like, this is the whole thing. You score more points you win the game if you give away 12 points and you lose in overtime that tells me you should have won the game and didn't because of decisions you made it is infuriating that i'm talking like john madden and it's infuriating that staley is going to be seen as this like pedestal of bravery when he's doing exactly what everyone hopes and dreams he'll do so that they can you know hug and kiss keenan allen in their fantasy dreams where's where's uh Where's uh, what's what's his name? Frank Caliendo when you need him to do that John Madden impression. Right, oh the one, God. the one, the one fucking time anybody would want to hear from him. The right, one exactly. Time. <laughs> it, it, it's it's really the, amazing. The one time and, since he was last relevant fifteen years ago. Right on that TV, but uh, but it, it's unbelievable. And this is where I get, you know, oh wow, the Chiefs, they're so scary. Mahomes is back. This is it. To me. I feel, and this is why I, at the beginning I said both of these teams don't concern me at all because of the, the way they coach. Even in the beginning of the game, when it was, I believe it was 10 to 7 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, just very conservative. It just, I mean, and that's good. But when, yeah, like you said, Bill, when it comes to getting points, you just get the points. There shouldn't be any type of, especially when you have a good kicker, you know, you're in a dome. So there's no, there's no, there's, it's nothing like the Bills game last week. You're, you're almost more than guaranteed to make the kick. So come on. It, you're leaving points on the board for no reason other than outsmarting yourself. Yeah, and it's I, like I'm not I'm not scared of either of those teams in a potential matchup in the playoffs. Me neither. But that that that's to say, you know, we still know it's football any given Sunday. And if I were picking a team to play, I'd want to play that Chargers team over playing that Chiefs team because yes, Patrick Mahomes can make exceptional plays. Yes, they have a more talented, dynamic roster than I think the Chargers do. That said, that doesn't mean that they've been consistent. And I think the thing that's really setting the Patriots apart from these other teams right now is that for the last 
eight, nine weeks, they've been really consistent. The Chiefs have not been. They've won games, but they've won games that have been really razor thin margins against backup quarterbacks against, you know, it's not quality of win, but it's the consistency that like, Oh, Mahomes is back is, uh, is wrong. He's, you know, back in moments and not in others. He's inconsistent. And that might just be who he is this season. And chiefs fans have to accept that. But additionally, the rest of the NFL has to understand that like, you're not necessarily, unless you play stupid, getting into a, you know, 38 to 35 shootout with them. You can keep a game with the Chiefs in the 20s this year. And if that's the way you're going to play it, then you want to shorten that game and make the inconsistency Mahomes is playing with benefit your team because the longer you let the game go on, the more likely it is that something special is going to come out of that kid because he's tremendous. But you got to limit that game. And so that's where a team like the Patriots really will be successful with run game, maintaining drives, time of possession, all of that stuff, and letting the inconsistency of Mahomes this season sort of shine through as opposed to allowing him multiple opportunities to show himself to be special. And I'm not saying that absolutely agree. Yeah, I'm not saying that analytics don't have a place in in football, because obviously you can you can use use it to your advantage. But I'm sorry, there's a pattern here, caller. When you have somebody like Ben Ralph Wiggum Volan commenting on it, saying, oh, second time tonight, the Chargers are going for it on fourth and goal. Love it. And then, and then he follows it up by saying, of course, at some point, you've got to convert. Bad execution by the Chargers tonight. So like, yeah, yeah, analytics- when Ben Volan thinks it was a good idea, that means it was a bad idea. <laughs> Like that's just that's just my that's like a general rule of thumb I have. If Ben Volan thinks it was a good idea, it was a bad fucking idea. It's it's this whole thing of like the analytics can't be wrong because if the analytics are right, you know, if it executes, then oh, the analytics were what led to that decision. And if it's wrong, oh, well, the analytics were right, but the execution was poor. It's well, never no. the analytics that are incorrect. It's never and just I, that I, you're I using Dave, I saw Dave Brown put it in a great way. The problem is that the, the analytics people won't have an open discourse on it and admit to obvious and to admit to you know good points that people make and they 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 won't like openly discuss it they have to be right like you said yeah they, they, bow, they, bow, they bow to they're the always altar. right and uh, like a lot a, a lot of shit they say in it like some of this analytic crap like like look here's the thing you one of those field goals last night you go up seven instead of being up four right which because because you didn't get it. Now, now, Kansas City has momentum now on their side. Analytics people will tell you that momentum is not a thing in sports. 1,000% is. And the only it people is. who w- will tell you that momentum isn't a real thing are people who have never played sports. Yep. And, and that's like, I mean, you, you put Kansas City down seven, you've got momentum on your side. You have mm-hmm. you have them on the ropes. They're down. They're down a touchdown now. Now they have to score to try to get it even. You put their offense in a different position to play call, mm-hmm. and then instead, you only go up. Now you're up four. They have the ball. They're fired up. They have the momentum. Like I said, it's a real thing, and it 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 changes how they can play offense, which changes how you can defend them, and it. It, it, it hands them the fucking game. It the game last night. Rob Nickovich said the best. 
the game last night showed the Patriots might be the best team in the AFC. Oh, I, I think in large part it did. I, 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 if, if, it came, if it comes down to an AFC championship between the Chiefs and the Patriots this year, I'm pretty confident in the Patriots. They're, they're, the more, they're the more consistent team. But, I mean, I think that, like, again, the analytics people look at these things in a vacuum. It's 50% of the, you know, it's the median. It's, you know, the median conditions, the median time, the median circumstance. It's the median. You know, they might take time into consideration remaining in the game and what have you, but it's the median circumstances. That one at the end of the half was additionally terrible because it did oh, not so put bad. it did not put the Chiefs offense at the disadvantage of being deep in territory, which is a huge component of the analytics that are being taken in the play there. You miss that play and it's the end of the half. And then you're kicking off to Kansas City, who gets it at a reasonable field perspective position you're just throwing away those points not taking that component into factor and then the damning thing to me after all that aggressiveness was you score a touchdown and you're up seven late in the game against the chiefs and you're afraid of them putting up points and you kick the extra point instead of going for two to make it a two score game like that's it kansas city would have kicked the extra point to tie it like that that would have been their move once they went down and scored if you didn't get it so, or they go for two, you've applied pressure to them and you've got to play to stop them or you're coming back down the field, trying to score a field goal at the end of the game, et cetera. But it's the better position to win. And if you're going to be that aggressive and go for fourth down, like five or six times in a game, you absolutely should be going for two to make that a two score game. That's hundred percent. It doesn't make any sense if you didn't No, I feel like, like the analytics would tell you to, but again, I don't read into the analytics. I'm sh- I'm sure they would, and for some reason he chose that moment to be conservative, and like a lot of coaches should consider that go for two move upset when you're up seven. That's like a really unique position. I get not doing it up six. I get not doing it when it's like the difference between you know nine and eleven points. You kick it to go to ten, so it's a touchdown and a field goal. All of that stuff makes a ton of sense, but specifically at that seven point mark where you can turn it into a two score game late in the game, there's no reason not to go for that. That's that's a slam dunk. Like analytics, be damned. I don't care what they say. They probably agree with me, and I don't give a fuck if they do or not. But you go for two on that. If you were going for fourth down all day, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? My I mean, the last thing I'll say on this before we get to the Colts game is my biggest irritation with football analytic people and and there was something I saw uh, from awful announcing saying oh they should have an and an NFL analytics guru on on broadcast from the NFL. I'm like, well, we've got enough people talking already. Like, just show us the game. I'd rather see that. But yeah, um, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to hear that on a broadcast. I yeah, they're good. On, they're good like on the sa- I already don't like the sounds that they're making. Yeah, they're good on Twitter <laughs> and keep them on Twitter and their blogs and their pods. I don't, I don't need any talking of the game. But my biggest irritation with them is that they come across as so douchey and know-it-all, and they're so condescending, and I don't want them taking the joy and the fun out of football the way that the analytics people have taken the joy and fun out of baseball for me, because it's just unwatchable, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, I don't know if it's a generational thing, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't want to say, you know, millennials versus Gen Z or, or, or younger than that, but it just seems like these people act like they, they're, they've discovered the Big Bang, 
and they have to tell you and they're right about it. And if you're if you don't believe them, then you're stupid. That, that that's I just can't get with that. Agreed. Hundred percent. Yeah. So uh yeah, that game just you know annoyed the hell out of me, and I'm sure it did for a lot of people. And uh yeah, mainly mainly because the Patriots weren't playing, maybe that's part of it, but that won't be the case because the Patriots play um as of recording this, they play in about uh well, 25 and a half hours. Well, 26, if you're counting what we're doing now. So, and they're playing versus the Colts. And wasn't it, first of all, wasn't it nice just to hear from our lovable friend, Greg, Greg, Doyle again? Wasn't that nice just to hear? What a time to be alive. He's like, he's like, he's like a Pucks of Tony Phil of Indianapolis. He's like, he pops up every, every, year or two when the Patriots play the Colts. I don't, I don't know if there's been any like bigger sign that like we're back. <laughs> like that was I'm like, wow. We are really back. We are all the way back. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you one I'll, I'll, in my final thought, I'll tell you something about how we're back. Oh my goodness. But yeah, the, Greg Doyle. Oh, I, that was, I had something else to say in my final thoughts about how we're back. Yeah, <laughs> we're just we got a lot of teases going on here. It's I, I didn't know any better. I, I I think I think we were in the business. It's tease season. Yeah, it's tis the season to be teasing. Oh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but Greg Doyle, Greg Doyle, he of he of 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 uh, well, I would I won't say fame, but he he he's basically a troll. I mean. The only the only way he yeah the only way he gets attention is if he kneels uh Patriots fans and he did it in this recent tweet uh you know talking about uh how Colts fans should actually root for the Colts which I didn't know that that was a thing that happens uh, you know <laughs> apparently you know. <laughs> I love that we should, the Colts should root for the Colts to, to beat the Patriots just like literally what are you saying like oh it, oh my God well, it's yeah. the Jet it's the Jeb Bush, please clap. <laughs> it, so. it, it, it's so Coach weird to says me. We should want to win this game. And and then Greg, yeah. Greg, and then Greg, you know, he he went on on, on, on of course WEI because of of course he goes to the station <laughs> that nobody's listening. To. He goes to the station that nobody's listening to. So you know, but it, so clearly he doesn't really care. He just wants to troll. Um, Boston, because he doesn't get any. If you look at his tweets, he gets no hits. He doesn't get any attention from Colts fans. So I think he's. I, I would call him the Dan Shaughnessy of, of Indianapolis, but that's giving him way too much credit. So I, it, it's just interesting to see him pop up every now and again. You know, he, of course, we all know when he lied about a Patriots fan slashing his tire. But you know, a Patriots fan would fly all the way to Indianapolis, color his tire ye- yellow, and 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 slash it. You know that's the way it goes over there. Yeah, he's he's pathetic. I mean, it's it's just that's the only thing he gets interaction on. Um, you know, it it's it feels like he lives in like a cage in Jim Irsay's house, like you know, next to the dead bodies that have been found in houses owned by Jim Irsay. Um, and he, you know, right next to Marvin Harrison's gun, probably as well. Um, but he, you know, it's that sort of, like it feels like they let him out of the cage for like one week every year that they play the Patriots, so that he can write like a half-handed article about like 
do y'all remember Deflategate? Do you remember that It's still time? fresh. It remains fresh. <laughs> it's it's it that's him chasing the last clout he had. It's still good. It's still good. It's he, still he, real. He, he's like the mem- he's like the member berries. It's yeah. real oh, to me. Deflategate. Oh, I love member Flakegate. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's what this is. And it's it's the only chance that he has to fame is to do that that trolley thing and to remind people like, hey, I was part of this story for like a couple of months. It's like the person at work who like did a project in January and is referring to it on their annual performance evaluation as like the major success they had that year. And it's like, yeah, but what about the other eleven months, bro? Like, what what'd you do then? And, and that's what he is. He's like, remember this one time I like thought I stuck it to somebody and everyone's like, what have you done since? And he's like, you know, talked about it. Deflategate. Remember? <laughs> I so tweeted bad. about it a, a bunch of times, guys. God. Yeah. I mean, Shaq, is there, you know, I, like I hate Kravitz and all, but like, is there anybody worse from that whole Deflategate thing? It, it, like that is still sort of like, around because let's forget about hubbock who disappeared but is shack is there anybody worse that's still around than greg uh, there's, there's there's so many characters i mean uh I, i'm sure there's some that the double G. There's, I'm, I'm sure there are some um i know i know the mothership uh, would know better than i because i i can barely remember my own name sometimes but I, I i'm sure i'm sure that there are so there are some people who are still hung up on that the flake gate thing but they still he's up there. Let it go. Yeah, he's definitely up there, though. He he's Mount Rushmore of you know Deflate Gate, you know Crazy Town that's still relevant. You know, I say relevant very loosely. I just mean like hasn't had their Twitter deleted because they were found to be a scumbag. Oh well, Chris Mortensen. I mean, he's still he's still tweeting, isn't he? Is that is that tweet deleted at uh, I, eleven or twelve? I, no, but I, you know, I feel him and like Tony Dungy are in the same world for me, where they're both spectral creatures that died long ago and are just sort of like floating around our 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 world in some sort of new future technology. Um, so I almost don't count him because like it feels like they like troll, they like roll him out in like a wheelchair and he like declares a tweet and somebody <laughs> else types it. Like I, that's where I've got Mortensen at this point. Yeah, so it it it's really funny. Anyway, that. That does it for Greg. But um, speaking of speaking of the Colts, um, you know the Colts actually. I've been I've been looking at what they've been saying the Colts players to the media, and it's really interesting. Um, I remember in Endgame, right? And you know, obviously, there's a big Marvel movie coming out, and that all of us are excited about. Uh, we're all Marvel Marvel heads here on Entitled Weekend. Um, that includes Dan, who's not here. Um, Spider-Man: uh, No Way Home is coming out, or is out is already. Out. Uh, as far as, as this taping, um, it is out. So I'm, I'm excited. I have to wait a whole week to see it, um, but these guys are going to see it um, in the coming days. Yeah, that sucks. So <laughs> I know I'm the worst. Uh, if but, any, if anybody spoils this for Shaq, we will find you and we will end you. Yes, please. I, I'm going to avoid all social media. After I post this show, it, it's going to be gone. Um, it's going to be nothing he, for me. Dan and Bill are going to have to like make our own group chat <laughs> for the next week <laughs> so we can talk about it without ruining it for Shaq. It'll only be till Thursday, so I think we'll be all right. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, I mean, at the end of, of Avengers Endgame, you guys remember, right? 
before, you know, the gigantic battle, you know, and uh, Captain America, you know, with uh, uh, Avengers Assemble. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen a uh, almost three-year movie yet. Uh, Overrated movie, by yeah. the way. Oh, oh, ooh, oh, ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Okay, okay, that's a take. yeah, that's, that's, a take. A, that's a take, that's a take. We're gonna have to talk about no, I, that. See, okay, so, so I, I have to, I'll, I'll explain it. I like Endgame. I do. I like Endgame, but really, I like Endgame because of the last hour of the three-hour movie. I didn't think okay. the first two hours, first hour and a half at least, were that good. And it, but it, it was a three-hour movie. All I really, all I really didn't remember from it and talk about from it is the last hour, because like other than that, you know, the highlights were like the Hulk dabbing and Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner fighting over who gets to die. <laughs> yeah, I uh, see. I think it sets the stakes. I like that, you know, I'm not, I don't want to make this into a Marvel podcast, um, but I think it sets the, <laughs> not <you> know, yet, <laughs> not yet, but I, I do think it sets the stakes. I think the first hour and a half forces you to live in the reality where Thanos won. And I think you have to do that. Or it's like every other com- comic book, like movie ever, where it's like, oh, we retconned everything. Everything's okay now. And I think the not okay thing and forcing the audience to live in that, if you watch it with Infinity War is like a really like, it's a gut punch. And I like that. I think the only mistake was making people wait a year to see the second part. But, but uh, any, okay, okay. All right. But anyway, before that big fight, right, did Doctor Strange give Thanos a call, like, to let him know that, look, I'm going to make, I'm going to make, like, a, huge, a whole bunch of portals, and everybody's going to come through it, and we're going to have enough people to fight your, your henchmen or whatever they are. Like, I, did, I he, did he ever say, do that? I want to say that he didn't. But I, it, no, he yeah. didn't. I, 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 I can't I can't that, say for sure because I'm 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 not a wizard and I, but, I, I don't know what wizards do. But but that would be silly though. But, right? that, but that would be silly though, right? To, to tell you I, 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 I think so. You, you, but, I mean for laughs. If he if he did it, no, it was for giggles. But, yeah. I, okay, do you, I mean do you, do you see where I'm going with is, this though? Where, see, but here, but here's the thing, Shaq, is that you're not considering what the analytics would tell you to do. <laughs> The trash and talk we don't, we don't know if Doctor Strange was, you know, maybe he did tell Thanos because he was the analytics told him to. I don't know. Yeah, but isn't it but isn't it silly to tell your opponent your game plan the, the before the night before the fight? Yes. I, I, I think so, but again, but but that's the, the, the point I'm trying to make. But that's the point I'm trying to make. The Colts seem dead set on doing that exactly that. Because, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's I'm gonna give so you some, bad. I'm gonna give you some examples. Uh, Bobby Orecki, the Colts linebacker. Um, this is a tweet from Zach Cox from Nesson. It's right in our wheelhouse. He's confident back there. He's got a good command of the offense. But we're gonna try to make the game one-dimensional and see what he can do. I mean, what are you trying to do here, man? Like, what are you doing? I mean, yeah, we know you're gonna try and stop the run, but. Why would you say that? Not, I mean, not just only give, because, yeah. just give the non, just give a non-answer and don't say anything. I mean, you're giving the greatest co- coach of all time your game plan, and he already had mm-hmm. an entire full week to game plan for you. It's it's right. It's crazy to me. 
This is, oh, hi, Mr. Belichick. Please play action us in the first quarter. We're going to really be trying to stop that run. And we'd really appreciate if you would do play action so that we're all <laughs> running in at the ball and the receivers are wide open. We would hey, really coach, appreciate if you did that. Hugs and kisses, the Indianapolis Colts. Hey, coach, if you didn't know what we were going to do, here's what we're going to do. What remarkable, what remarkable stupidity. It's so stupid. And then he goes on to say, it's right in our wheelhouse. I think that's why we've matched up well versus Tennessee over the years. We're just a physical team. We pride ourselves in stopping the run. It's another great opportunity. We're ready to go. It's galling me because, I mean, look, look the way they look at what they did against the Titans in their rush game. In their two games, they let up 180 yards and 93 yards. But, I mean, he says over the years. So let's look at maybe, I guess, a couple of years. Um, okay. They haven't fared. They haven't fared better. Newsflash: um, We're going. We're going to go backwards from 2020 to 2019. They've let up 229, 157, 154, and 120 yards on the ground against the Titans. Well, they haven't done great. So yeah, yeah that's not necessarily. Uh, uh, I would say stopping the run. You know, uh, and, and uh, you know he. That's what he says. But they haven't succeeded at that. They're, they rank 16th in rush yards per game, 24th in yards per rush, and 16th in overall rush yards allowed. So, I mean, they're pretty average in doing that. Oh, but it, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there, guys. Uh, Frank Reich, head coach, said this about the Patriots defense. Not a lot of teams play the way they play. You have to be willing to consider what you're going to do to adapt to the way they play you. We're not going to change everything. We're going to do what we do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that that cliche right there we're gonna do what we do is like if i've heard uh, if i had a million dollars for somebody who said something like that like i'd be oprah because i mean against the bill belichick defense how many times have we heard a coach say that i mean two weeks and you're saying we're gonna do what we do i mean i'm not saying they're not good at it because jonathan taylor's a monster and we all know that um it just it just seems counterproductive to me to just say it right out right it's it's I so mean, bad. I, I feel like I feel like they're giving us they're just telling us what like Belichick's obvious game plan is is we're gonna stop the run and make cars see what Carson Wentz can do. <laughs> right. Like like it's I mean that yeah. <laughs> That's it's, what we're doing to you too, buddy. It's absolutely just the worst coaching ever. I'm sure that if I looked back, the analytics would tell me that coaches who say we're going to do what we do against the Patriots lose. What you do when you do what you do is lose. That's why Belichick drafts drafts and builds a team that can adapt to circumstances and situations. So a team that does what they do cannot be successful so frequently against them. Uh, and by the way, I just looked back in their last eight matchups, the Indianapolis Colts are four and four against the Tennessee Titans. So yeah, if matching really up, well if, if matching up well is an equal number of wins and losses and also not being in the division lead, then yeah, you're doing a bang up job. And that said, yeah. I think the Colts very well could be the second best team in the AFC. Uh, I'm taking nothing away from them with everything we're discussing. It's a, it, that's a bold take, but like their run game is stout. Their defense is strong. Like they, they have the potential to be a problem for other teams in the playoffs. Do I think they're going to beat the Patriots? No, 
But do I think that they have every potential? Could they beat the like? It, look at um, Kansas City and Los Angeles last night. Could the Colts beat either of those teams? I, yes. I think they've got a good shot. I think they got a real good shot against either of those teams, and we've seen them beat the Bills. I think that very well is the second best team in the AFC, which is why I agree with Rob Ninkovich when he said that the Patriots are kind of clear in a way right now, the best team in the AFC. Yeah, and really, I think first of all, what what you know, it's, it's common sense about uh, well, taking what the defense gives you, but. I think the Colts team intent on doing that. So look, there's going to be no Damian Harris. Um, he's ruled out for this game. Uh, so, and Bill and I were talking about this in the EW thread. Um, I think that this this game for Stevenson and uh, apparently, you know, he had apparently, you know, this is a scary thing for Stevenson because he has a tendency to fumble the football, even though he's only done it one time in his entire season, this entire season. He, he did it once, blew a pass protection, didn't see the field for a couple of weeks, and he has been fucking phenomenal both those things yeah. ever since. Because Belichick knows what he's doing. What a crazy concept. Yeah, no, I don't, I, it's, it's stupid. I, you know, I I was on um, my uh, one of our shows into the lab the other night, and some you know I really think Damian Harris is what makes this offense go for the Patriots. No, the offensive line is what makes the Patriots is what makes this Patriots offense go right now. So I I love Damian Harris. I don't think the loss of Damian Harris in this game is what's going to determine the outcome. No, and I think it's actually not a terrible time to lose him for a week um, because it's fresh off the bye. Um, Stevenson is rested. Bolden is rested. You're going to have those guys. And it gives Harris an extra week to rest up and be ready for that home stretch with Buffalo, Jacksonville, Miami before you hit the playoffs. And much like we talked about Mac Jones last week, I, I you know, getting the week of armrest essentially with Buffalo, I think it's really critical that we set up a situation where, you know, players are well rested and healthy heading into late season games but they yeah the offensive line is the straw that starts to drink there and we're now six deep with effective offensive linemen and it's such a a pleasure to have that and it's not something that um it that's not a formation that indianapolis has really seen much of this season with the consistency the patriots can run it absolutely not because no one else does it no, and not really, with that frequency. And really, you know, Mac isn't, you know, everybody's still, you know, hammered up on the fact that, oh, Mac is this and Mac is that. But to act like Mac Jones is like, a, what, chopped liver here? That's pretty dangerous. And, you know, the Colts defense, pass defense doesn't necessarily put strike fear in you. So if they want to force into the pass, I think Mac will do very well, especially in a dome against a team that isn't very good at pressuring the quarterback. Um, so regardless of how the Colts want to attack the Pats in the running game, I think that the pass game for the Patriots should be very uh, confident going into this game. This feels like a Mac Jones 300-yard passing game, right? Like, this just feels like that. Like, even if Mondre goes off like 100, 150, 
I feel like this is the Mac Jones 300 yard game. Like it just, it's, it just feels that way because they're going to be doing some screens that can break. They're going to try to stretch the field to then create the run. Some like, it just feels as if it's a, a game that's tailor made for some interesting formations to come out Mac to, you know, have a, a solid grip to be well rested. And I feel like he's going to come out and have one of his better performances as a rookie um, against the Colts this week. Right. And what I think is if, you know, look, the, the bottom line is if Jonathan Taylor runs over the defense, they won't win. And Belichick's probably going to load the box more often than not in an attempt to slow him down. And the Colts have the 21st ranked passing offense. So forcing the ball in the Winston's hands is not a bad thing. And then, you know, time of possession is definitely going to be key. And mm-hmm. It, it, I know this is obvious, but it's not like this for every team. So, you know, plenty of teams who you aren't, who you're, you're not that much concerned with them holding the ball onto because they don't, they don't put the ball in, into the end zone. But the Colts are the third-ranked offense, so they know how to do that. So, play keep away, keep the, keep the running game going, and maybe Stevenson will have, you know, a Jonas Gray 2.0 type of game, except he'll wake up in the morning. God, Jonas Gray, if you could have just gotten up in the morning. <laughs> Jesus, it's the God's honest truth. I love that reference, Shaq. It's one of my favorite stories of all time, the flash in the pan of Jonas Gray, undone and, by his failing alarm clock. He And he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He was, he was like, it was like a, the biggest thing in the world. And then, boom, snatched. Amazing. P- nothing is more peak Belichick than that either. <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh, you were on sport. You were on Sports Illustrated two weeks ago. Fuck you. <laughs> like <laughs> it's be just beautiful. Get up on time. Be better. All right. All right. So yeah, that'll do it for the Colts game. Um, it's. I think it's. I think it, we've summed it up pretty well. That's all they need to do. And it's a Saturday game, so it's kind of an interesting day. But you know, as, at least we'll get done with the game, and then we'll have the rest of Sunday to watch everything else and you know, hope the Bills get stomped again. Uh, please do us one more favor, Cam Newton. Cam Newton, <laughs> you're our only hope. Yeah, then then, then I don't want to be uh, involved with anything Cam Newton does ever again for the rest of my but, life. Right, I mean, to be fair, what he does is, in a sense, like it's relevant to the Patriots, but no matter what happens this week, next week is a hat and t-shirt game. Yeah. Like people don't seem to be talking about that enough. The Patriots can win the division regardless of the outcomes of this week by beating the Bills next week. It's huge. Exactly. Exactly. Huge. That's I was. I was. I. I. I next week is. I, I'm not going to say it's more important than this week, but if they can sweep the Bills, that's it. There, there's there's nothing the Bills can do to come back from that, right? So no, right. It's, it's I mean, it, it's just it's all over for the Bills if if Cam Newton somehow pulls us off. But it, it, and like you said too, if if we if we sweep them in the division, oh, they they can't come back from that. That's it. There's, yeah, there's no. no room for playoffs, and then like we officially own you again. No, I mean if the Panthers beat them, if the Panthers beat the Bills this week, all it sets up is you know the Patriots have three cracks to win the division. They just have to win one more game along the rest of the way, if memory serves. Outside of that, it's, you know, yeah, it, it would be nice to have that set up. But the, if the Panthers beat the Bills, 
the Patriots could bury the Bills the following week. Like that's they could miss the playoffs entirely if you if they um, lose to the Panthers this week. That is a huge game, and with a, um, in the, it's just a huge game, and it's going to really set up you know the rest of the season because they've got two sort of slam dunks at the end of the year. Not that any game is like a gimme in the NFL, but the Bills have two easier matchups in the last two weeks. The Panthers is just such a massive game for their playoff hopes. And they're having to do that right out coming off the overtime loss against the, the Buccaneers coming off the Patriots loss that they still can't fathom. It just feels like they're really reeling. And with the injury, I know he's was a full participant today for Josh Allen. There's a lot of moving parts there. I don't think this is a gimme game for the bills at all against the Panthers. Not that I want to turn this into a bills podcast. I'd rather, you know, enjoy a fine bleach cocktail, but you know, def- definitely something for the Patriots fans to be watching on Sunday. Yeah, so this is going to be a pretty exciting couple of days, and I'm ready for it. Um, before we get to our final thoughts, I have to talk about uh, Burt Breer and his horrible, very good, no good, very bad uh, week. Um, it, it It's pretty unbelievable um, how a national guy, he's, he's become a national guy, he covered the Patriots for I don't know how long, but it's just, he's so... Oh my goodness. Like he adds nothing, but he also he he takes away everything. I mean, just his his tweets this week were just unbelievable. Um after the Bills Vic well, after the Bills lost to the Buccaneers on Sunday, he 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 came out with this, oh, you know, he might as well just play a violin after this. Uh, despite the loss, feels like the Bills have the chance to come out of this a very different team. Showed a ton of toughness today. A couple pass interference calls go the other way. Maybe they win. Right. So, you know, when, remember when the Patriots lost to the Buccaneers in week four? You know, it was, it was all, it was all, oh, everything was bad. No moral victories. The Patriots weren't allowed any of those. But the, but the but you're you're able to give moral victories to the Bills, you know, like you're giving away uh, uh, cars. It, it's it's unbelievable, and 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 at the worst time, they lost this game at, at like if it, if this game that they lost to the Bucks was in September or October, like the Patriots game was, I could understand that. But that game might be the game that knocks them out of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that like moral victories are for teams that are developing. Moral victories are for teams that are growing into something. The Bills are who they are at this point, for one. And two, are a team that was developed coming into this season. That is not a team that needed, that that should be awarded moral victories. And I'm not big on moral victories. I'm not the person who's like, you know, oh, you know, you got to feel good about the Pats after that. But like, after playing Tom Brady toe-to-toe in a pretty emotional game for everybody involved, yeah, to feel pretty good about the Patriots. Like, it, it, right. it, there's, and, there's an and, occasional moral victory allowed, but that one wasn't it. Go ahead, Jack. Right, and I remember walking out of that because I was at there at the stadium and I was walking out. I was like, wow, that, that was a game. And that was Mike Jones' fourth game in his career. And right. for that to happen, it was like, wow, I... I came away from that more than what I thought I would, you know, because if it was like a, a 45 to nothing game, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, I shouldn't have even came. But the fact that they were so close, mm-hmm. is it a moral victory? Yeah. But guess what? I would I would make an argument that that game was was the turning point of the season. 
even though you know there were a few more losses in there, I would say that that game was the game where things started to look a little bit different. I mean, regardless of any of you know the moral victories or not, the Patriots took advantage of a moral victory and rattled off you know rattled off a series of wins here to be the number one seed in the AFC, which you know even the most optimistic Patriots fan at the start of the season was not saying, ah, they'll be the number one seed in the AFC. No one, no one was saying that, like, you know, people could be bullish about making the playoffs, even beating the bills to the division. No one thought they had a shot at the number one seed in the AFC. So they took moral victories and turned them into progress and production and real victories. You don't get to declare a, a true, like a moral victory when somebody is on a two game skid after they've lost to Jacksonville, their quarterback comes out in a walking boot, is injured for part of the week, and they're basically going to have to win their next four to win the division. And while the other team is in the driver's seat, that's not a moral victory. If anything, that's a desperation loss. And now you're in, you know, you're in break glass in, in case of emergency mode. I, I just, I don't see this as a moral victory. And I will, own it and eat crow if they rattle off four wins and then make a deep run in the playoffs. But I, that's just not what I think is happening here. Yeah, it, 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 that's not what's happening here. And then uh, the, the second tweet, um, you know, of, 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 you know, this is a category of him adding absolutely nothing to the conversation. Did you know that um, COVID-19 is going to be an ongoing issue for the league? Did you know that? What? Wait, wait, what, what is that? I don't know what it is. It, it's, it's something, but he just said, he, he's telling me it's going to be an ongoing issue for the league. Is that a steroid? I don't know. It must be some type of candy. Okay. Oh yeah. I've heard of those. The Covies. Yeah. <laughs> Covey 19s. Yeah. They're delicious from what I've heard. <laughs> Allegedly. Unbelievable. Like tough, but fair reporting. Like, thanks for that ad. Thank you, Greer. Thank you for that. I would have never known about COVID-19 if it weren't for you in that wonderful tweet. And then, Bravery. and then the, the one that, that tops everything. I mean, <laughs> the one that tops everything, you know, Urban Meyer, um, if you listen to uh, Entitled Town, I would uh, suggest you, they were, they, all, they were off this week, but they did have a memorial service for Urban Meyer. Um, beautiful uh, that you know that asshole who who is uh, no longer coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars um, uh, this is this is one of two that will just irk you the second one is the worst but this one um, I think as has been the case with pretty much all college coaches coming to the NFL a lot of people are invested in seeing Urban Meyer fail that said this is an on-the-record account adding to growing pile of allegations. Jaguars owner Shad Khan has a decision to make. This is before he was fired. So, <laughs> you know, a coach who has a two and seven record, team sucks, uh, you know, number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence has, you know, has nothing to look forward to. Players hate him. A scandal where he was caught dry humping in a club, captured in front of a whole crowd. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, and people are looking to see that guy fail. I mean, he fit a lot into that, you know, couple of months there. You got to like, that's a hell of a stat line, you know, the, you know, the dry humping in the club when he's some godly man. And oh, my God. Oh, 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 oh and and the biggest thing of all, he kicked one of his players. He kicked one of his kickers. 
it, it turned into like uh, it literally was turning into a sitcom, like w- with Urban Meyer over there after a while. Like I, everybody hates to, Urban. You, like, dude, you have to fire him before it somehow got worse, and that's like what I kept saying. And then, like, like you said, check. He kicked a player. Like, I, I saw that, and I'm like, how does it keep getting worse? I'm like, I don't like, I don't think it could get any worse than this. But right. I didn't think it could get any worse than it is. Like, you really need to fire him because it, <laughs> if it keeps getting worse, I don't know how you can go any lower than assaulting a player. I mean, Steve, it was coming down to a battle of people who wanted Urban Meyer out and the people who have sources close to Urban Meyer who are trying to protect him. And I truly believe Burt Breer among them, who's speaking about, you know, oh, the poor ownership of Khan, which like, yes, he's a, he's a crap owner. We've known this for a long time. But that didn't, you know, he didn't like go and tell Urban Meyer to kick a player and grind up on a woman in the club. He didn't tell Urban Meyer to not fly home with his team. He didn't back. He backed up the Brinks truck for a guy he thought was going to be a lot different than the guy that he got. And like, maybe that's a vetting issue. Maybe that's just who Urban Meyer is, whatever. But that's not an excuse for anything Urban Meyer did. Then there's the whole, and I'm sure you're getting to the shack too, is the Belichick Saban. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave that for you. Um, oh my fucking God, that thing. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm not going to step on the toes. You're running the show here. <laughs> no, but I was, but, but, but I was going to say, it's it's funny. I, I, it, I just, none of this is to say before we get to that. None of that is to say that Shad Khan is blameless because he's the one no. who hired him for whatever reason. Whether it was he thought that that would you know give give more. It obviously did give more attention to the Jaguars because I, I remember when he got hired. I was like, well, what are they doing other than you know just to sell sell PSLs or whatever they wanted to do? Didn't work mm-hmm. obviously because the team absolutely fucking sucks. But it, it, I don't know what they were trying to do, but Shad Khan is not blameless in any of this. He he deserves some blame for hiring that idiot and that asshole. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that goes without saying. But then the tweet to 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 break all tweets from Albert Breer this week. <laughs> and please, um, if you're if you're listening to this podcast driving on the road, please pull over, um, or please have a seat because you're gonna need it after this. Uh, in light of the events of this week, it's interesting reading this quote from Amari Cooper. Um, the quote from Amari Cooper saying that uh, he would always, that uh, Nick Saban saying that he would always complain about something. So I thought we'd suck. I didn't know any better. We were blowing teams out and he still wasn't satisfied. So Albert Breer says, in light of the events of this week, it's interesting reading this quote from Amari Cooper on the benefits he got from playing for Saban. This style of coaching, Saban, Belichick, Meyer is going away but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's just harder to sell to players. I mean, God almighty, what, what the hell are we doing here? I, 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 had to, I had to, when I first saw this tweet, I had to leave the room because no, he did not just compare Urban Meyer's coaching style to that of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. Like, you remember the Sesame Street song, one of these things is not like the others. Like it's it's completely obvious that two of those coaches are coaches who own championships, whether in the college ranks or in the pro ranks. And Urban Meyer is Urban Meyer. It's can I just say I I've never believed more in my heart that Snoopy was back on Twitter than when I saw that tweet. <laughs> I 
like, and maybe that's why Snoopy left because we're at a point where we're beyond yeah, parody. There's, there's, there's no Snoopy. There, there, there's no parody anymore. There's no making fun of this. There's no analysis that like the three of us Jamokes can sit here and do that explains the stupidity better than just reading that tweet over and over. The words Belichick, Saban, and Meyer, all meaning the same thing, is ridiculous. Oh my god. I, I there's no words. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't even have like much to say. I just that's the first time that I've ever heard, and I've heard people say Urban Meyer is like a good college coach because he was a very successful college coach. Puts the boot so up their ass. That's you know, he had he had success. We can't say he didn't have success in Florida and Ohio State. He did have, He had success. You can say he's a successful college coach, but uh, I don't think anyone ever anywhere has ever compared him to Nick Saban. I don't even. Like, where'd we ever get the idea that, like, he coaches in the same way as that? Have you been in all his practices and all Belichick's practices and all Saban's practices, Bert? As far as no. I know, as far as I know, Belichick hasn't kicked one of his players. I mean, I've never heard of Belichick kicking a player. <laughs> I, and I'm pretty sure that all of Belichick's players like playing for Belichick. So I don't, like, I don't even know if it's really that hard to sell. Yeah, and, and except for the, the players who have come out and, and have said that style is hard to sell. But I think Belichick's style is, has been selling pretty easily for 20 years. For the players who have said that they haven't liked playing for Bill Belichick, is, you can tell who they are because they don't like to give effort. And even the players like, like Lane Johnson who says, oh, it's not fun. Well, you've never been an assistant to say that. You've never been coached under Bill Belichick to say that, oh, it's not fun. It just looks not fun because... It looks that way to you, but the uh, the guys who haven't ha- quote unquote had fun are the ones who haven't been able to put in the effort to to back it up. Like Reggie Wayne, like he he went in there and went back out like it was you know like the building was on fire because he he was he couldn't handle that. And and even in his advanced age, where you would think that he would be able to, he's like, no, I can't handle this. And you know, I I do don't I don't forgive him for talking about it, talking about Belichick afterwards. But at least at that moment, he was able to realize, okay, this is this is, and the list is on and on. I mean, there's Joey Galloway, Tory Holt. I mean, there's guys who've been in the Patriot system during training camp who, you know, something in them just a light flip, light switch flips up, and it's like I can't do this. I have to leave before, <laughs> you know, I embarrass myself because. Bill Belichick is just different in the fact that his coaching style is is unique and only only the smartest and the strongest can survive. It's I mean, I furthermore, I think the major difference between the three coaches that are illustrated in the worst treat of all time um, is the phrase real recognizes real. Saban and Belichick believe and act as they are and hold themselves to the same account that they hold their players to. Urban Meyer thinks he's about what Saban and Belichick are about, is not, and does not hold himself to the same standard as seen by grinding up on the girl and not flying home with the team. He holds himself to a different standard because he thinks that's how you build the coach status over the players. And it's sort of this thing that's allotted where Belichick and Saban say, the players make me. That's the difference between Urban Meyer 
Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. The two of them are real and they're recognized by other real ones. And Saban was recognized as fake by the real ones. And now he's out of a job. Unbelievably out of touch, but I can't be surprised. It's Albert Breer. He's just like he's like anything, anything involving uh, what are what are the Ohio State's colors, red and burgundy, whatever whatever the colors are. Anything involving that laundry, like he, I'm sure, like he 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 has Jergens lotion next to his his jerseys anytime he sees anything involving uh, anything involving Ohio State. So oh yeah, yeah. that tweet was unbelievable. Um, yeah, so. Uh, let's get to final thoughts here. So I'm going to ask Steve to go first because uh, I want to finish off. So go ahead, Steve. Um, oh, my final thought is really that, I mean, we've got Greg Doyle is back out tweeting about the flight gate. We've had tweets from, uh, he called himself the ghost of Adam Gaze, must have been a Jets fan, um, about how Bill Belichick is cheating the COVID numbers. Because Foxborough is in Boston, doesn't it really just feel great to be back? Like Belichick is just, we're, we're so back that motherfuckers need to get inducted into the fucking loony bin. Like they, like people need to start checking into mental institutions because we are that, that far all the way fucking back that there are already people checking into mental institutions across the country. And it's really, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It, that was, that was going to be, that was going to be my uh, alternative final thought, but uh, yeah, you do better than I, I would Steve. Uh, Bill, your turn. All right. So again, this week we saw, you know, allude, you know, allusions and indications to people calling Boston this like uber racist city. Um, you know, Boston's gonna Boston and all this. That's just really used to say like Boston is a racist city. I want to be real with people for a minute. Every city is racist. Every, every city, every town has a race problem they need to address. And what pisses me off about this is not people calling Boston a racist city. Because I think every city has work to do. But when they are saying that, they're saying our paradise is better than Boston because Boston is racist. And it's used as a signal to deflect away from the issues in their own backyard. Everybody on this topic is in a big fucking glass house. And they're all hucking stones at one of the glass houses and terrified of the fact that they could also be indicated in the same way. It's this shameful approach to try to defend their community by throwing shade at another and using it as a way to say like, oh no, everyone is respected here because this only happened in Boston. This thing happened once. Then evidence is brought up to the contrary. And you know, oh, there's, there's racism in Minnesota. Well, at least we're not Boston. There's racism in California. Well, at least we're not Boston. There's racism in Alabama. At least we're not Boston. And it's used to deflect this like it's not something they have to do the fucking work on. And I think something that's really important about Boston that people don't understand is that the people of Boston know that there's work to do on a lot of shit in society and race is one of them. And the fact that we're the ones that are sitting here saying, we know we need to do the work and everyone's piling on and not thinking about how they need to do the work themselves is really arrogant and dangerous and will be a precedent that sets other communities back in the long term. So what I'm gonna ask is that, that if this reaches anybody and I doubt it, 
that does not, you know, isn't in Boston or no Boston or whatever. Anybody who hears that, the next time that you hear Boston is racist, make sure people know that their communities are too and that there's work to do. We all have to accept that and we all have to move forward. Bill, this is deeper than this is way deeper than I I I, I would I would spend a whole hour on this one thing because I mean I don't know where it came from but it definitely uh, uh, spiraled on Twitter and it definitely came about because of uh, a, well a lot of things but we don't have to get into any of that but really I think what it comes down to is it's jealousy like I said on the first show it's jealousy it's all about people being jealous of their sports teams, not living up to Boston sports teams. And, you know, our, our teams are just better. And that's their coping mechanism. That's their way of saying, well, my, my sports team isn't very good, but you're, but you know what your city has racism. That's what, that's what your city has. That's their, right. Like get back. Right. Like it doesn't exist everywhere. Like it's so naive and it's just this like guttural eight-year-old reaction to well, any guess sort what, of ladies conversation and of real substance. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Patriots are the number one seed in AFC. Um, the Celtics are, well, they're all right. And, uh, <laughs> and the Bruins are pretty damn good too. So, and, and the Red Sox are coming back. So look, if, if, you're, if you're mad, uh, talk to your grandmother about that. Don't talk to, don't talk to us because that Boston sports team, they're here to stay. So deal with it. Um, my final thought is, I, I, and, and it kind of, it kind of um, branches from your point, Bill, but really it comes to a lot of sports. It, it's really about a lot of sports writers who aren't from Boston, who have a preconceived notion, but also like to get their likes and get their clout from off of Boston. And what I'm talking about in particular is this guy named Craig Calcaterra, who, who retweeted, quote tweeted, uh, obviously, the, the asshole of Boston Sports Radio, Tony Maserati. Um, Tony Maz's tweet was talking about Steph Curry being the best shooter that he's ever seen. Uh, but the fact that he's made more threes is, than anyone is a joke when Larry Bird only took 1,727. Different game now, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm not going to say the worst person you know is right, but look, uh, Larry Bird is, you know, he's always going to go down in history. So, but then uh, Calcaterra quote tweets that by saying, never stop Boston in Boston. I mean, and, and so when you, when you put a quote like that out, what are you saying? What are you saying? Well, it's obvious what you're saying. You're saying that Boston is going for the white guy over the black guy <laughs> and nothing and nothing else matters. But and then in the comments, everybody in the comments was saying, well, no, that's Tony Maserati. He doesn't represent all of Boston. And then you have Calcaterra arguing, well, he does because his sports radio show is the number one show in Boston. Well, I mean, the Kardashians did 20 seasons of, of the Kimmy up with Kardashians. Does that make it a quality show? I don't think it does. But it, it's, it's pretty amazing how people who aren't from here, they'd like to, they just love to say what the city's about. And it's not true at all. And, and this guy in particular was saying, oh, I wrote a book on it. I wrote a book on sports fandom so I can tell you, well, no, sir, you don't. And you, you need to stop, stop making, first of all, sports radio is, I would say, 5% of Boston sports fans. And I think that's even being 
uh, a tad higher than I should be because, you know, everybody isn't a Matt in Framingham or a Cam in Taunton who, you know, serves produce. Like that's not, that's not all of Boston sports fans. So if you, if, if you have that preconceived notion, then that's something that you have to fix. But, but yeah, you just stop digging deep Calcaterra and relax yourself. Never stop Calcaterra and Calcaterra. <laughs> and that guy's a baseball writer. So what, like, please, like, what are you talking about? Like you, but he, he, he loves to argue. So, you know, again, no, uh, these, these, these writers who think that they know everything and you know nothing as a lowly fan. So that, well, that's what the entitled podcast network is here for. Um, we're going to skip email, emails this week because um, we have some fun ones and I want Dan to be a part of the conversation. So, but if you want to send us more emails, um, I know it's, we, we should just call it the Vinnie Jace um, uh, Memorial email segment. So, but if you want, if you're not Vinnie Jace, if you Memorial, email, did something happen? Oh, well, not Memorial or something. <laughs> Cel- celebratory, something like that. I don't know. I'm making it. Honorary. Or... Honorary. Yeah. Um, but if you want to send us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to kill you, Vinny Jace. No, he's, he's, he's alive and well. Um, but you can email us. At... <laughs> well, yeah, Snoopy. Uh, yeah, prayers up to Snoopy. Uh, pour, pour that one down for our homie. Snoopy Memorial Service. <laughs> pour that one down for our homie. Um, but yeah, entitledweekend at gmail.com. Um, entitledtown at gmail.com is for the mothership. Uh, you can hear them next week. They'll be back, hopefully, uh, if not Sunday, but later on next week. And we'll be back same time here next week. So until next time, turn off your radio, slugs. <laughs> <laughs>